Welcome to Inside the Rope, the podcast where we speak to the leading minds in wealth management. I'm your host, David Clark, and in this episode, I'm speaking with Roger Lloyd, the founder and CEO of Palisade, the infrastructure investment group. Keen listeners to the podcast will recall that we spoke to Roger just over three years ago in episode 53, and hasn't time flown away, and those three years have been very, very tumultuous investment times with COVID, and uh, now the negative markets of 2022, where pretty much all asset classes were negative. Over that period during COVID and the negative returns, Palisade Infrastructure Fund, the diversified infrastructure fund that we're talking about today, has performed very well, producing 8.5% per annum as an average annual return made up of 4.3% income and 4.2% in capital growth. We talked to Roger about the characteristics of private infrastructure and what they've done over the last three years and some of the assets. We talked to him about the opportunities that are presenting themselves in the US. And we, we dive into each of the sort of segments that they look at, whether that be car parks and facilities and transport and the uh, airports that they own, as well as the Port of Portland, energy transmission in terms of renewable energy and solar. We talked to him about communications and some of the investments they've made in the US around data. We also talked with him about the government contracted uh, assets that they own in the PPP space uh, around defence, justice, health and transport. I think you'll enjoy this podcast as much as I did. Please remember that this podcast isn't, nor is it designed to be any advice of any form, general or specific. People are always encouraged to listen to the disclaimer at the end of the podcast, uh, read any offer documents and also seek their own advice. People are always encouraged to keep their feedback coming through to me. You can get me at david.clark at codacapital.com. Enjoy the episode. Roger Lloyd, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me back. It's been a while. It has. I had a look this morning and it's been just over three years. Uh, Amazing how time flies when you're having fun. Um, Given it's been three years, it's probably worthwhile you giving a little bit of a a reminder or an update uh, to the listeners who who they're about to listen to. Uh, Wonderful. Yeah, well, a very busy three years um, for the obvious reason, Um, but uh, also the fact that we've we've managed to, to, to grow incredibly. So just a reminder who who I am, Roger Lloyd. I'm CEO at Palisade Investment Partners. Uh, I call it Palisade Group these days because a lot has happened in, in, in the three years intervening. Um, we have as our core um, a, a fund and funds that invest into mid-market infrastructure. And very simply, it's, it's something that's been core. We're, we're now in our 15th year. Uh, which is fantastic, and it's been 15 years of very good uh, sustainable growth. Um, Congratulations. It's, it's, it's very exciting. Uh, it's very exciting. And, and importantly, over that time, you know, f- for us, we've we got one core objective, and, and, and that's to, to get good returns from our investments. Pretty simple. And it's really nice to have 15 years of continued growth and strong returns um, and to have that track record now. Is uh, is wonderful, and fortunately for some of your investors, they've uh, benefited from that. Well, the ride's been good, and and it's interesting because I know not a lot of not for profits, a lot of what we'd call conservative investors really like the asset class because mm. of its lack of 
volatility and and that may be because of the underlying assets and the type of infrastructure assets that we can talk about. Mm. It can also be helped by the fact that it's not listed and subject to um, the whims and, uh, you know, people say, you know, the, the Fed's getting dovish or bearish and markets move. Uh, I think a great example is if you look at some listed infrastructure funds that gapped down 20% during COVID, um, uh, and, 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 and your investments didn't move around because they're, you know, valued off sort of fundamentals and cash flows and albeit some things shut down, um, it, it didn't, it didn't, uh, move a lot. But before we jump into the weeds a little bit, maybe mm. if you could give us a bit of a, a feel of the scale, um, for two questions in one. First one, a bit of the scale of Palisade, where it fits in, and secondly, how you define infrastructure investment and your mandate. Okay. So all up, we're managing close to $4 billion in, in um, fund and commitments at the moment. Um, in our, uh, our main fund, our diversified fund, we are, it's pretty well invested across, the, across the, the full portfolio of assets that we manage. So it is truly by, by nature diversified and probably one of the more diversified funds out there in infrastructure land. We've got 26 assets in the portfolio um, across, you know, all the subsectors that, that you'd imagine. You know, we've got uh, assets in airports, we've got assets in um, renewables, we've got some agri-infrastructure assets in the portfolio as well. So we've got a, a really diverse range of assets. Where that's held us in really good stead, and you're talking about volatility, and we can we can um, <coughs> delve into that a little bit a little bit later. Where it's held us in really good stead, that diversification has really been evident over the last three years. Um, yes, airports obviously were hit and hit badly, and and some differently. Um, for instance, in the portfolio, we have Sunshine Coast Airport, but we also have Darwin Airport. Sunshine Coast Airport basically fell off a cliff. There, there were no passengers. That's a good in a way because we could actually just shut down. Um, Darwin stayed open because there were re irregular, regular uh, flights in and out. Um, and so you still had a, a cost base you had to maintain. So different impacts depending on, you know, within the, the very same sector with the very same external factors um, react differently, had different outcomes. With the diversification across sectors, though, where that can really help you is if you look at our portfolio, yes, we have airport assets, a port asset um, that is linked to the economy and linked to what's happening um, out there, be it, be it a pandemic, be it inflation, be it growth type scenarios. Or you can have contracted assets that aren't impacted. Um, and around about 55, perhaps 60% of our portfolio is actually contracted. So it helps in really good stead through, through that time um, where you can actually uh, you can maintain the core, which is you've got an asset, it's real, it's not going anywhere, and this is your conservative investor type thing. Mm. People can see these things. They, 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 they like them. They're real. Everybody's been to an airport. Well, it's easy to understand. Yeah. They, they typically use or have used or can see the goods that have come through the port of Portland. They've flown into Sunshine Coast Airport. They've used the 
uh, the, the car park off the hospitals. Um, they, they, they even understand um, the data lines and so forth. Can you explain the different mandates you have within the firm and how they fit together and how the diversified fund gets access to them and how, it, how, how that is determined? Mm. So we, we run three funds mm-hmm. and we also run uh, a bunch of separately managed accounts. And it's really important those two work 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 together, all all, all of them, um, because what it enables us to do, particularly in mid market, is we can use our funds and our separately managed accounts, which is generally the larger end of the institutional market, um, investing more money with us. We can club that within the Palisade family and go and acquire a majority share in a in an asset. Uh, and th- and that's that's really important to us. We, we believe that having a majority, significant, even 100% of an asset, provides us a lot more control, um, ability to actively manage an asset. And, and that word gets bandied around a lot. And even equities managers say that actively manage. Mm. When you're at the coalface and you're talking daily with a CEO, CFO, management team, that that's active management. Um, and and that we allow, we can do that in mid market, which is what we what we re, we really like. Um, so it's you know it's an important it's an important consideration in in what we do. It's an important philosophy in what we do to try and maximise the return from each asset. Um, lost train of thought there in terms of where we're. So how do they fit together? So I how know they fit you've together. got so our different funds. Um, a diversified fund, as I say, invests into everything um, and by everything that's direct assets. So it will invest directly into an airport asset or a port asset, etc. Where we see a great deal of benefit is along platforms. So if we're building up expertise in a particular sector, we will um, we see benefits in synergy, amortising our intellectual capital, amortising expertise we've built up. And a good example of that is our renewable platform. Um, so we are, we, we've been investors in renewables since 2008. Um, and we've put together now one of the larger portfolios of renewable generating assets in the country. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's been a great feat from Little Palisade. Um, so our diversified fund actually gets its exposure to renewable assets through the renewable fund. Mm-hmm. which is also able to be invested in directly by other investors. And the renewable fund is how big and how many assets does it hold? <clears throat> it's got six operating assets in it currently. And they are what type of things? We, we're diversifying across fuel sources, you can call it that. So at the moment across solar and wind. Yes. Um, <clears throat> largely towards the wind end of the market. We've got a lot more wind than we, than we do solar and wind has generally perform better than solace. That's, that's been good. Um, so diversifying by fuel, um, wind and solar, we are going to be expanding hopefully into other, uh, other sources going forward. Um, and that might be hydro, for instance, it mm-hmm. might be hydrogen. Um, there's a, there's a real need for what's called firming capacity these days to provide us base loads. That's batteries and, and the like, and, and hydro forms part of that that chain as well. So we built up a, you know, a huge portfolio in, in that regard. 
And is there a, an infrastructure or, or a social infrastructure asset class or fund that you have? There is. Um, our public-private partnerships, PPPs. Yes. Um, and that's, that's just a method of procurement that governments used. So these are assets or operations or businesses that have typically in the past been provided by the government in terms of a hospital or a road or some basic infrastructure or what people would traditionally think about infrastructure where they say, well, actually, we'll partner with corporates or the public to fund those and or operate those in some way or form. Yeah. So generally the PPPs are done as long-term concessions. And to give you an example of, of assets we've got in, in that portfolio, mm. hospital is, is one of them. We've got a couple of hospitals in that portfolio. And really what the government's trying to do is procure for the long-term an asset. Um, and, and, and they're just bringing private sector capital but also private sector expertise into, into management of it. A lot of them are... I shouldn't say dumb, but dumb assets in that you are just providing the asset. You're not necessarily operating the asset. We don't provide doctors. Mm -hmm. We provide the fabric mm -hmm. which doctors can operate. Sure. Um, and that, they are really at the low risk end of the spectrum in terms of um, infrastructure and, and the returns we expect, therefore, from that asset class, very much yield-driven, very high yield, very little growth. There might be inflation correlation in, in them, but that's about it. Um, that, that's, that's the only form of growth you've got. Um, but they are just about providing an asset. As long as the asset is provided, the government pays you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and typically we will also even outsource that to you know, very credible, creditworthy counterparties who will then make sure that asset is open for us. Yeah. And how do you determine if, say, tomorrow a fantastic mm. asset right in your sweet spot, sweet spot comes available, mm. um, how do you determine who eats first and what allocation goes to which investment vehicle? That's oh, Look, that's very simple. You know, uh, um, if it's renewable, it's going to be sitting in a renewable fund, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so that's that's very simple. If it's, if it's a government availability stream, it's going to be sitting in our PPP fund, mm -hmm. subject obviously to capital being available in those in those funds. Everything else that fits our broader mandate will be in our diversified fund. And then the diversified fund will in turn invest into each of those vehicles. And and how is that allocation to? Determined. No, either directly. Yes. So, for instance, if we get an asset that is not fitting into renewables or PPPs, yes. But if it's our broader mandate, it will go directly into that asset as an investor, and that's the likes of our airports, our ports, our bulk liquid storage, our gas pipelines, etc. Okay. And then in terms of exposure to renewables, does the diversified fund have exposure to those or that's yep. totally separate? So it's getting, it's, it's getting exposure to renewables through the Renewable Energy Fund. Yes. Um, and we've got limits that we apply to various sectors and, and across revenues, et cetera. So we do, with the renewable exposure, so the exposure of PITF to renewables, yes. we're, we're generally looking at a sort of 15 to 20% level that we won't exceed yes. into that particular sector. Now talk me through the basic economics of a wind farm or wind assets because you know, I think there's two camps here. There's people who sort of say, well, this is all the future and renewables, we've got to move to it at any cost. And then you've got 
a bunch of other people who might be three camps now, I'm saying it, um, are others who are saying, well, it's not really there yet and the economics don't make sense, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then I think there's people like yourself who are saying, well, actually, yes, this is the way of the future. This is the way we're going to make an impact and we're going to make a difference to some of these outcomes, but you can actually make very good returns on the way through. Can you talk us through the basic economics of a wind farm? There is so much to unpack there. Um, I know we haven't got all day, so I'll, I'll try. I'll try and keep. keep well, what What are the key sure. risks? Like when 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 a wind I'll, farm I'll, comes I'll, for sale, what are the top three questions you ask about it? Can I I'll, go ahead? Yep. I'll, I'll go back if I could. Um, build it at any cost type scenario. Um, wind or oh, sorry, renewable generation is actually one of the cheapest forms of generation in the market currently. Okay, and um, and we've seen that costs have come down dramatically over time. So you don't have to worry about building any costs. It's going to be cheaper to build renewables than a new coal-fired plant. Mm-hmm. Okay, putting that aside though, there's a, there's one key reason we're doing that, which is for the planet. The, and and I don't want to start going on about uh, about about that because that can be really political, and there's some people who just don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the key reason we're getting into renewables. Um, and, and we need it. Um, so in, in a way, the cost is kind of relevant because it's either planet or not planet, mm-hmm. if, if you believe it. When we get into these assets, though, for us, it's really important, as infrastructure investors, it's really important that we have got a level of contracted revenue within within the asset we're buying um, that, that de-risks it largely for us. So one of the important things that we have across all our renewable assets are power purchase agreements. And that's, a, that's essentially the origins of Energy Australia's, AGLs of the world, and Hydro Tasmania, Tasmanian government. So you've got good credit risk on the other side? Really good credit risk across 92% of our revenues mm-hmm. are coming from those, the, those sources. Um, so that's really important. Um, to, to make sure that we have that. The the fuel source is really important. So for solar, it's high levels of irradiation. That's what so we need. So you go and get a report that says, on average, out at XYZ position in Australia, sun you can expect the sun to shine for X amount of time during the day with Y amount of intensity, and you can roughly calculate the efficiency of that. Not roughly, very yep. accurately. Okay, good. As long as your forecasts hold up. And and with wind, with wind, the same, same um, level of accuracy, same same level of accuracy. There, there, it's quite, it's actually quite surprising. There, there are things called wind droughts. So, so wind does 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 change in terms of its patterns. But if you're in the right areas, um, and everybody's heard about the Roaring Forties, right? Sure. Um, the Roaring Forties is a, is a windy area. Um, so so you likely to get. Um, more steady patterns of wind than you otherwise would. Mm-hmm. It's quite interesting. Everybody's sort of been whinging about uh, our recent weather, pa- weather patterns uh, caused by caused by La Nina. Um, so La Nina is also affecting wind. Mm-hmm. So we have actually had a bit of a drop off in terms of wind, even in the ro- roaring forties, um, and that does impact generation. What we will do then, looking at the risk of the wind blowing or the sun shining, as I say, sometimes it doesn't. 
uh, and that is true, over, over a period and over a cycle, you'll generally have a, a, a known quantity of both those things. But, but we do look very closely at the site. Um, it's at irradiation or it's, or it's wind, and therefore it's an ability to generate the energy that we're selling to the off-taker. Um, they're probably the key, key risks. The other thing that's really important is to make sure that you, it's like anything, if, if, you're, if you're selling a, a good or a service, it's, it's demand for it. And it's being able to connect to the people who are demanding. Mm-hmm. So connection is also really, so it's location and connection to the demand centers is also really important. Um, so whilst we have a national electricity market, the NEM, mm-hmm. that stretches from, I'd say, Cooktown, Cairns at least, all the way down to South Australia, um, and including Tassie. They're all connected. Probably one of the large, longest markets in the world. Um, different places are connected better than than others. Um, so you've got to, you've got to consider that as well. So, this hypothetical phone call that you get that you know a great renewable energy asset, and from what I'm hearing, that's a a wind asset for you is for sale. Oh, solar. Um, or solar. Or solar. Let let's say it's a wind asset. Yep. What what are the three questions that you're going to ask first? Um, to try to help you determine whether it's something you're interested in or not. Um, what's the revenue stream? Yep. Can we sell this to a so you're looking for off-taker? An, an off-take agreement yep. in place? Absolutely. Um, what is that? What is the positioning? What's the geographic um, positioning of that? O- optimal op- optimal terms of the contract are, are roughly what? Um. Look, we, we've got a, a variety, uh, if I can just get to tenor. Yes. We've got a variety of tenors in the portfolio, some going out to sort of 27, 28 as the shortest, right? So still five years to go. Mm-hmm. All the way out to one of our recent wind farms, which is going out to 2038. You know, mm-hmm. so we've got 15 years to go on that contract. That that to us is is really key, the tenor of that contract. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we don't necessarily want to, because we want to have these these contracted revenue streams, we don't want to be exposed to day-to-day pricing fluctuations, et cetera. Um, so minimizing that. So you'll look at risks within the contract around, you know, this is getting into into uh, a lot of detail, who's taking that pricing risk? You know, you may have heard of things called negative pricing in the market, mm-hmm. where the price of power actually goes below zero. Yes, uh, and they've got to take it. Who's taking that, that risk? Um that's not necessarily something we want to, and we aren't out there um, determining prices that retailers or wholesalers will pay for energy. We'd prefer the retailer to take that kind of risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're just taking a margin then on the provision of it? Generally not. Well, I mean, ge- I mean, it's quite complicated. Ne- negative pricing is a very complicated field and also constraints that, that, that the market operator will put on how much energy is taken into the system, right? Mm-hmm. So there's constraints. That's, that's another, um, you know, very complicated arena. Um, what we will generally have is a price per megawatt hour that we generate. So if our, if I, if our turbines are spinning yes. and, the, and the sun's shining and we're generating energy, we get paid for every megawatt hour that we generate. And in its simplest form. Yes. 
these PPAs go to hundreds and hundreds of pages, as you can imagine. Yes. I like to keep things and, simple. And, and your risk on that price that you have um, is what they'll take it from somewhere else if it's cheaper. Um, no? If we've got a 15-year contract and they're going to take that at, say, $65 per megawatt hour, we're getting $65 per megawatt hour. Okay. Now, therefore, is your risk you can't produce it at that price or when you're depreciating all your capital expenses? You know, where, where's the risk in this for you? What's the math that you're doing? Um, yeah. And you're doing, I mean, you're doing that math at the outset, right? Yes. You put your capital into the ground. So you, you, and, and that's generally going to be a huge chunk of, of your revenues going to service capital. Uh, so I'll give you an, it, it might be 78% of your revenue is servicing that capital. So that's determined at the outset when you're acquiring the asset. Yes. Um, so if you think about you know, over the long term, 15 years, 20 years, PPA period, and then you've got a, a period after that which we may recontract or it may be merchant, don't know, but a 30, 35-year asset, we're getting our return on capital over that time. Mm-hmm. You can model that out. Um, once again, not simply it'll be a 30 gigabyte model, but you, you, you're basically working at your cost of capital. Where you have um, some exposures around operating and maintenance costs, so another part of that revenue stream will go towards operating and maintenance costs. Um, generally, you can also contract that portion or a portion of that out to creditworthy counterparties. Mm-hmm. Often the people who built the wind farm will give you a 20 or 25-year operating agreement that goes with it. So you can kind of get my gist. Oftentimes we're, where we're getting certainty and why we think infrastructure is good is you can actually um, offset or send out the risks to those best able to take them. And then we get the consistent returns that we are seeking. So talking about those returns, and I, it's been three years since we first introduced listeners uh, to, to the strategy mm-hmm. and, and being able to give uh, wholesale investors access to an asset class in unlisted infrastructure that in the past has been reserved mm. for um, you know uh, institutions and very large uh family offices, mm. um, the, I can't think of another three-year period where we've had the sort of test to that in that, you know, if you had have said to someone uh, back then, you know, we were toll roads and parking, uh, parking stations and um, energy utilities and the port um, of Portland and these type of assets to turn around and say, well, okay, so- something's going to come along here, which means, um, you know, the airport on the Sunshine Coast shuts. No, nobody's going to fly in and out and nobody's going to run or ride, drive on certain uh, freeways because they're locked down, et cetera, et cetera. It's almost unthinkable. But I think it's interesting to have a look at a test case as the performance over that period and, and how, how did the assets perform and how did they go and what did your investors um, walk away with during that really, really unusual time? Extraordinary time, you know, without a doubt. Um, you know, fascinating time. What did they? What did they enjoy? It. I, I, I probably talked last time about Seven Eleven, bit of a mantra mm. within Palisade, um, which is our eleven percent total shareholder return and seven percent yield. That's our target on a gross basis. Um, 
what have we managed over the last three years? I think we're probably smack on the 11. Mm-hmm. Um, we're probably less on the 7. Um, and that's very that's really simple. Our airports didn't distribute. So our income levels were lower than we forecast. And you've got, I think you said 28 assets, four of which of those assets are uh, airports. I think you've got Sunshine mm-hmm. Coast. Coffs Harbour. Coffs Harbour's new acquisition. Darwin. Then Darwin and Alice, Alice Springs. Yeah. Okay. So uh, our yield has has come off, mm-hmm. um, no doubt about that. We were in lockup. You know, we had, we had bank lockup against those those assets. Yeah. Um, so really tough times. But congratulations because that performance, whilst everything else, you know, if people were in a listed vehicle at this, they were down 20% on their capital price. If you know, a lot of people panicked and sold at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, things were really volatile and, and, and fluctuating a lot. And for a lot of people um, to have that investment there as a rock solid, you know, there, there's a different perspective, um, which is probably why I, I suspect you're going to be very, very oversubscribed um, to this offering that you've got at the moment um, because you've acquired a new asset. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that asset you've acquired? We've acquired a few recently. Mm-hmm. Um, since we last spoke, it's, it's been busy times, but the last year in particular, assets don't come along in this in this space all the time, right? So it's it is it's uh, you know it's a it's a long road to to getting a new asset into the portfolio. But in the last, what are we up to? March, early March. In the last three months, we've closed on three assets in the portfolio, which is great. I'll talk about the US in a second um, because we have expanded since we last spoke into the US market. Um, but we've closed on a um, a last mile fibre business in US. We've also closed on a, a community solar renewable generator in the US. We've closed on a, an, another wind farm the largest wind, operating wind farm in, in the country, um, in, in Australia. Um, so, and, and during COVID, we actually bought another airport. That's right, Sunshine Coast. No, Coffs Harbour. Coffs Harbour, oh, that's mm, right. Yep. Mm. So we'd bid before COVID happened and we just kept on going until we got a thing that worked. Um, so, yeah, exciting times, exciting times, but the opportunity set's still there and it's still there in a very diversified, uh, in a very diversified way. Um, which suits us, which suits us really well. So, so really let's well. talk a little bit about those assets. You've bought the uh, last uh, last mile fibre business, so that's internet <coughs> connection from mm. the core in the US. It's a little bit different. They don't have mm. the MBN. Mm. This is sort of the connection, the high-speed connection from the home to the main backbone of the, the service. Mm-hmm. Okay. So most people say, I need internet. I don't know if you've ever travelled with my family and – my 16-year-old daughter, Lucy, you could go to anywhere in the world. The first question you're going to get is, what's the Wi-Fi pass? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And if it's not not available, things seem to be broken. Um, so so that's pretty pretty high demand and solid, um, it would seem. Then you said a, a renewable energy, community energy. Community, what, solar. What, t- mm. t- what, what does that mean? What is that? What does that look like mm. to mm. invest in? It's uh, the, the US market. Can I maybe just step back a bit sure. and talk about the US market and then I'll get – and why we yeah, like Yeah, I really want to talk about the US like market. That. Please And then do. we can talk about the assets yep. um, and what we're targeting in the US. Um, so we, we, you know, looked across the globe. Where are we going to go next? Where, where are 
some fertile hunting ground for a mid-market infrastructure investor. Um, we discounted Asia fairly quickly um, for various reasons. Europe, very crowded, uh, very crowded space. Um, US, the land of opportunity, right? And, and it, really, it really is when you look at it. And there's some great stats there for um, pipeline. When you look at opportunities to invest, the, the pipeline is, is enormous. Um, there are very few infrastructure investors. It's not as mature a market as Australia and Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a massive infrastructure deficit yep. in, in the US. And anybody who's flown to the US knows, right? As soon as they get off to the airport, you go, my God. A- a- aging infrastructure yeah. and a government with a debt ceiling and a big debt problem looking around saying we need to build all this new stuff and we don't have the money. Yeah. Um, so... So it's underserviced as far as investment managers are concerned, um, and the, the 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 infrastructure deficit is massive. It's huge. So we've we've gone there saying let's take the expertise we have in Australia and apply it into the US market. So we've we've sent a couple of chaps from Sydney office over there. Um, Mike Reynolds, our, our managing director there, um, started on the fourth of July, appropriate for mm-hmm. for uh, for US uh, last last year. And targeting three areas. One is the energy transition, so decarbonisation. And as I said, we've you know we've built up a good portfolio here. We know renewables. Um, secondly, is around the digital story, and we all know, particularly through COVID, the demands on digital are you know are enormous. I was so, always intrigued when <coughs> the MBM was being rolled out in Australia. You'd hear people ringing into Talkback Radio saying, you know, this is unbelievable. Why are we wasting this money on it? Why am I ever going to need this? Mm. Um, you know, I'd like to speak to them in the last uh, two years. But anyway, I interrupted you. I apologise. No, that's that's fine. We, we, we enjoyed the, that, um, the COVID tailwinds that that brought because we also had a fibre asset that brought data from the US through Hawaii into Australia and New Zealand. Yes. We, we owned and we sold that during COVID simply because the price that was offered was a lot more than we valued it. Too good. Too good. Um, so getting to last mile fibre, that's also very uninvest, un, in, under-invested in the US market. And it's very fragmented in the US market um, because they don't have an NBN. So because of the, the increased need, and it's not going to go away for data, um, people are just hungry for, for for data, communications, gaming, you know, whatever it might yeah, whatever it you might name be. It. Um, we we've targeted that sector as well. Okay. Um, and and the first asset we bought there, which is up in the northwest in Tacoma, in Washington State, and looking to build out a platform. And the third thing we're looking at in the US is around um, transport and transport related things. So. Whilst you can't go, you can't buy an airport in the US. They they're not privatising for whatever reason. It's the infrastructure around airports uh, are quite interesting, or around ports, um, and also things like short haul rail is very important. So those are the sectors we're looking at, and you know, pleasingly, we've managed to invest into two of those sectors already. And how are you managing the foreign exchange uh, exposure there for for clients and investors into PIDF? Yeah. The diversified investment fund. Yeah. So um, just to give you a, a feel, we are limited to how much money the diversified fund can go offshore. 20%? 20%, correct. Yep. Um, so that gives you already a, a, a degree of protection against 
CAPEX. Um, it's really difficult to hedge your forward income, obviously. So oftentimes we'll just hedge the... The capital. The capital. Okay. Um, so we'll we'll put that in place. We haven't closed those deals yet. We yes. We've obviously put hedging in place against those. Um, uh, they'll close varyingly between sort of six weeks to eight weeks' time and maybe five, six months out waiting for approvals to from government bodies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll hedge the capital. Okay. Well, terrific. That's a good update. Now, I, I think one of the last things to I'd like to close on, if I could, is maybe talk to you a little bit about inflation. You alluded to it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of people would think, well, if I'm going to buy this annuity income stream uh, type of collection of assets, mm-hmm. throwing off cash flow, well, gee, am I going to be eroded by inflation here? How is the portfolio set up to deal with spikes of inflation like we're seeing at the moment? Love that question, David. Love that question. Thought you might. That's Dorothy Dix of that one. Mm. Uh, we love inflation. Uh, and and that, that may, may seem odd, um, but we are very heavily correlated with, with inflation and outcomes, right? And uh, I'll throw a number out. It's 0.8, mm-hmm. 2, I think. Um, so what that means is if, Inflation is going up, you know, by one percent. The value of our portfolio will go up by point eight, um, and and that's really important. That's always been, you know, what we see as an important part of of infrastructure investing is to get that inflation hedge, um, and we've seen it come through. You know, everybody you know, three years ago, pre-pandemic, yeah. no know, one was interested in talking about inflation. Wasn't even mentioned, nowhere, you know, and, and interest rates were benign and they were, you know, down here, it was lower for longer and all those sort of things. Um, but we have got protection um, against inflation and this high inflation environment has been has been good for the portfolio in two ways. Back to those contracts we talked about, mm-hmm. a lot of the contracts have embedded inflation indexation. Mm-hmm. So... With 7.4%, I think it's they're talking about these days, our revenues have gone up 7.4%. Um, pretty handy. Pretty handy to have. And even even just within the assets, um, your, your business models are, are based on, on, on uh, an inflation hedge as well. You know, you have got the ability to pass on sometimes, not always, pass on inflation, higher inflation to and they, to they, your client. And they... they, they... They tend to be uh, pretty price inelastic assets as well. Um, mm. I, I told a slight fib there. I've mm. got one more question in terms of gearing and borrowing. Um, my understanding is that you may borrow to buy assets like you've done um, that you want to put your foot on because the opportunity comes up and they don't mm. always come mm. up and you don't want to hold the cash within there to, to drag on people's performance. So you can buy that using debt and then effectively swap that debt out with equity like you're doing at the moment. Um but then you, each of the assets underneath will operate with their own levels of gearing. Mm. Given that people will be concerned about how those assets deal with, you know, sudden rate increases, can you talk about the level of gearing at those underlying asset levels and how you mm. think about that and how you manage that? Numerous ways. Um, we've got a treasury risk management framework that talks about how we bring debt into individual assets. And, and you're right, we, we do have a holding a holding company or holding fund debt facility, but that's short term and, and it's only there to bridge to equity. At asset level, 
every asset will be different in terms of how much debt we can get in there. And, and size of debt is, you know, there's a science to it. Um, and ultimately, I guess, the risk of the asset. Mm-hmm. Your riskier assets um, will attract less debt into them. So the airports might only have, what, 20 30% sort of debt? The airports are probably, I mean, our, our port runs at about 20% debt. Our airports, and that's probably too lowly geared mm-hmm. uh, at the moment. Our airports might be at 30 35%. You go to the other end of the spectrum, that really low-risk end I talked about, the PPPs, and they may run it, I think, across the portfolio, we're sort of 78% debt. So what's that, the uh, hospitals? The government revenue streams, because mm-hmm. it gets to your risk of your asset. Now, that is a very secure asset. It can actually afford higher levels of debt. So that's that's one thing. It's sizing is determined by the risk in the asset. We, we, don't, we, we don't push the envelope as far as debt is concerned, you know, it's, we, we were born in the financial crisis, right? Mm-hmm. We're not going to be stressing. Well, assets. people are concerned that, you know, you might blow an asset up by over-levering it. Yeah. Um, we, we, we just won't do that. It's, it's, um, it's in our makeup, but it's also the fact that we, we you know, we, we were born there. So you, you size your debt appropriately and, and that's, not just looking at it now. You're not investing. We're investing it through the cycle, right? Mm-hmm. We have always assumed that debt is going to go back to a, a normalised cost, which is where we're getting to now. Um, you know, we did enjoy a period of time when you know life was rosy, as far as debt's concerned. So, the way we model it is we look at f- forward curves and long t- long term all in costs of debt, mm-hmm. and we model that. The other thing we got to look at is also tenor and maturity of that debt. If all our debt is falling due at one time and it's problem time, that could be problematic. Um, so we look to staggering our, our debt, both across the portfolio, um, but also within an asset. You can have different term debt within an asset. So might, you might get three, five, seven, ten year terms against mm-hmm. a particular asset. So that diversification of tanner protects you as well. Um, and th- and that's that's important. It's not just forecasting pricing of debt, but tenor. Um, but but uh, but overall, I mean, our level of debt against the, the portfolio as a whole, and a weighted average basis, is is I think sub forty percent. I mean, it's not it's not you know, it's not something we monitor closely, but we know it's at that level. Um, when you look at the, at the portfolio as a whole, so it's it's not excessive. Um, and we're we're very comfortable, and, and and just to, I mean just how we also get comfortable is uh, sitting on our investment committee. I've, I've I've got two of probably one of the greater debt professionals that this country's had. Um, Fiona McIntyre used to um, was global head of um, infrastructure resource finance at NAB. She sits in my IC, so mm-hmm. brings a debt perspective to equity investing, which is interesting. Um, and Dave Bennett, an absolute legend who was head of debt capital markets at Macquarie. And I've got those two on my IC. So they've got an idea about debt. Yeah, absolutely. Terrific, Roger. Well, that's, that's been a fantastic update for our listeners. I will give you the, the last, uh, say, if there's anything I should have asked or anything you'd like to leave with our uh, listeners. Um, I'll let you, 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 you have that say before I sign out. Uh, look, the, you always do, David, cover everything comprehensively um, thank you I, I know that we could we could you know speak for hours about the topic which is my favorite one 
Um, but I think important it's it's if I can sort of reassure your investors, um, all investors, that the asset class has done what it's supposed to do. Um, it's shown resilience through this this nasty period for investing that we've been through. Um, it's held up in, in form of the, in, in returns. And people know um, that those assets are there and will continue to be there. They can go back to Noosa. They'll see the, they'll see the wind farms if they're out in the country. Um, all those things are real and they still exist. And the resilience of the, of the sector has really held up. It's, it's shown, to, shown to work. Terrific. Fantastic way to leave it. Thanks, Roger. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for listening to Inside the Rope with David Clark. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting codacapital.com. Any views expressed in this recording represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or recommendation and may not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit www.moneysmart.gov.au to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.